will be in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And as you're turning there, let me bring you back up to speed. This is a wonderful story about an ordinary man that God uses to do an extraordinary thing. Nehemiah, this cupbearer to the king, has been strategically placed uh, in his role by God to be raised up to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, which was both practically and spiritually significant. Practically significant in that it protected this city from marauding neighbors, and spiritually significant in the sense that temple worship was able to resume once this wall was rebuilt. And so as we are working through this book a little bit at a time, we are gleaning powerful, practical principles from the story of Nehemiah and also talking about how this points us to Jesus. I have no doubt that today will be an immense help to us as the previous weeks have been. Let's pray for the Spirit's help and let's get right to it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We pray that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Well, there will be three points before us today, and they all gather around the idea of what Francis Schaeffer once called doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. In many ways, that is what the story of Nehemiah is. It is doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. And these three principles and all that falls out from them, I think will help us in our own journey as we seek to do the same. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Now you remember last week when we left off, Nehemiah had just been given permission by King Artaxerxes to leave his job to go do this work. And he has made this trip, which would have been about 900 miles and would have lasted between three and four months. This was a very significant journey. And you see the letters that he refers to here uh, would have been somewhat like an ancient passport that he would have had access to that would have protected him because they had the king's signet seal upon them. And so if Nehemiah were to be attacked uh, as he was making this journey, uh, because the king had signed off on this, it would have been viewed as an attack on the king. And of course, none of these little governors would want to be involved in uh, getting entangled with the king at this point. So he was able to go and make this very long and arduous journey. And you also see here that he wasn't just giving these, uh, th this ancient passport, he was also given a security detail. So he has his papers and he has his posse. And they have been able to make this journey. And when he gets to where he needs to be, watch what happens. Verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, you need to pay close attention to those two characters because they are going to be the invariable thorn in the side of Nehemiah from here on out. Uh, if this was a Batman comic or movie, this would be the Joker and Penguin figures in this story. And they really cause Nehemiah a continual amount of trouble. Uh, this man, Sanballat, that is mentioned here, uh, was essentially government, uh, governor rather, over Samaria. And his troublemaking buddy named Tobiah, he would have functioned as the governor of the region east of the Jordan River. And basically their beef was primarily political. They didn't want any threat 
to the power of the governor in Samaria. So they viewed Nehemiah that way, and they are going to torment him from here on out uh, to, to try to stop that. But I want you to pay attention in particular to what we learned in verse 11, because therein lies our first point. Take a look at this. It says, so I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And the reason that's significant is because it goes contra to what you think would happen. You would think, hey, he's journeyed 900 miles. He's been doing this for three or four months. Yeah, a couple of guys have popped up to give him some trouble. You would think when he rolls in there, he's going to immediately get to work and start making things happen. But instead, he does the opposite. And that shows us something about the wisdom and the character and the faith of Nehemiah. And it also gives us our first point. And that is that Nehemiah shows us that before we can lead others well, we have to lead ourselves well. Before we can lead others well, we have to lead ourselves well. You know, if you want a picture to think about this, this is kind of like what happens when we get on an airplane. They give you that same little speech. You know, if the, the cabin loses air pressure, what's going to happen? The masks are going to come down. If you're traveling with a child, uh, make sure you secure your mask first before helping your child. And the, the logic there is, is, hey, if we're really in trouble on this plane, you need to be awake so you can help those around you. It's a, it's a take care of yourself so that you can take care of others kind of thinking. And that is exactly what Nehemiah models for us here. He knew himself. He knew his limits. He knew the significance of this work that God had called him to do. And he said, this is too important and this is going to require too much for me to not take a break before I begin. He, he takes a Sabbath here. He takes a beat. He takes a pause. And he rests up before the real work begins. And I think that is just so wise. Such a good example for us. In fact, you see this time and time again in the ministry of Jesus as well, don't you? One quintessential example of this is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus has been ministering, and then the disciples can't find him. And, and where is he? It's very early in the morning, and he is drawn aside to pray, to draw strength from his Father, to refuel, to continue on for the work that lay ahead for him. Nehemiah knew that was important. Jesus knew that was important. Do we know that that is important? And see, that is one of those practical helps that Nehemiah can offer us here about self-leadership. And I think all of us intuitively know, hey, this is a good idea. We need to, you know, uh, look at this as a marathon, not a sprint, whatever it is that God's called us to do. But sometimes, maybe most times, this is just good preaching, but hard living. And so I want to try to give us some very concrete help to move us in this direction. That one of the things that will help us learn to, to lead ourselves well, particularly when there's so much on the line like this, is to learn to ask the right questions. Now, those of us who are watching this right now would typically shake out in one of two categories. You got those who work too much, and I think there's probably a lot more of us, and then there's those who rest too much, and that can be a real issue. But if you find yourself in that camp where you are feeling very driven, and we gotta do this, and this has gotta happen, and so on and so forth, let me encourage you to ask this question. Why? Why? Are you being driven by the passions of the flesh? 
Are you being led by the Spirit of God? And Nehemiah was led because we know, he said last week, the good hand of God was upon him. And one of the evidences of that grace in his life was the fact that he had the wisdom and the forethought to, 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 to step back and refuel before he had to expend such great energy. But a lot of times we don't do that because our identity is wrapped up in our working and our overworking. You know, I've seen this in, in countless people's lives over uh, years and years of counseling people and just being a pastor that, that we get so consumed or so concerned about what the people at work think or the people in the neighborhood think or whatever. And we, we just work ourselves and slave into the ground and don't have a sustainable rhythm. But really, it's because our identity is misplaced and it's not securely in the gospel. If that's where you find yourself today, working too much because you're trying to prove something that you don't have to prove, can I call you to take a break today, to take a breath today, to follow the example of Nehemiah in the power of the Holy Spirit and to work from a place of rest. And I know what you're thinking. Dustin, there's too much to do. There's too much going on. Listen, you're so busy, you can't not take a break. You've got to have strength from God. You've got to have still waters and green pastures to, 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 to come aside with Jesus and draw the strength and the resource that you need. Don't be working out of a false and failing identity. Find your identity truly in the gospel. Follow Nehemiah's good example here and be led by the Spirit and not driven by the passions of the flesh. Now, let me ask on the other side of the coin here. Maybe you would say, well... That's not really my problem. I am one of those that likes to rest too much. Well, can I encourage you today to think about all that is on the line, to think about all that is at stake. Friends, we are eternal beings. God has given us a life. He's given us an allotted amount of time. We need to make the most of it that we can in the time that he has given us. We need to have an eternal perspective that one day we will give an account for the deeds done in this body. And we need to, by the grace of God, seek to advance the fame of God. And every little thing that God has called us to, whether it's a job, whether it's working in the church, whether it's serving in the nursery, whether it's uh, doing whatever it is you do during the week, all of that can be kingdom work. And we need to lean into the Spirit of God, reflect on this truth, and, and move forward in the midst of it. Think about what's at stake. Think about the resources that are offered to us to help us in this direction. And let's press in and let's see what only God can do. Now, before we move on from this, I also want to give you a couple of other things that might help you assess kind of where you fall on this. Because maybe you don't immediately, it doesn't pop out to you that you're an overworker or maybe an overrester. Listen. Some things that will help you here is asking the right questions about your soul. And what I mean by that is think about how you feel toward God. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that our faith is uh, determined and governed by our feelings. That There's way too much of that in our culture today. But what I mean by that 
is, are you drawn to spend time with God? Do you want to read your Bible? Do you want to pray? Do you want to invest in the advancement of the gospel? Do you want to serve other people? And, and if you don't have an interest in doing those kinds of things, then it's time to, to, to pull into the spiritual gas station, so to speak, and really pay some attention to your soul. Because sometimes what can happen is we can just be so busy out there doing whatever work that it just kind of grinds on us. And just the, the difficulty of life will, will suck out the vitality of our spirituality. And friends, we are still in the midst of this pandemic and there's not a single one of us that at some moment in all of this that we have been and are going through that has not been affected in this way. But we need to listen to, we need to pay attention to our soul. And these moments, like Nehemiah shows for us here, to draw aside and, and to really listen to what's going on, they make space so we can hear from God through the scriptures. They make space so that we can hear from God through creation, through the community around us, that we can hear the voice of God speaking to us and we can make those changes in the course corrections, and the Spirit can work on our spiritual automobile, so to speak. But we got to make sure that we're taking that time, making that stillness, to, to listen to what God has to say. It's too important to not take a break. So let's follow Nehemiah's example here. Let's listen to what God is saying through this time, and let's see what only God can do. Now, let's look at verse 12. It says here, <coughs> uh, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one I rode on. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And so what Nehemiah is showing for us here is that he was very smart. He was very strategic because he has gone to the south end of the wall because Jerusalem was most often attacked at the north end of the wall. And what he's looking for here is potential raw materials that are still available where he might be able to rebuild with what's already there as opposed to starting from scratch. So this shows a great strategy in his mind and wisdom that the Lord has given him. Look at verse 14. Then I went on to the fountain gate, <coughs> to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And watch this, verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials and the rest who were there to do the work. Now, when you take all this together, this gives us our second principle. And that is that Nehemiah shows us the right way to cast vision. Now, I want you to go back and think about everything that we just saw here. We saw that strategy of where he went and what he looked for. But also look at some of the, the details here. Look back at verse 12, for example. I, I arose in the night... And I told no one what God, my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So he was showing a wisdom that he was going to do his work, his reconnaissance, secretly, 
and silently, and he was going to gather all the necessary information before he goes public with the vision that God had given him. Friends, that is the exact embodiment of what we learned last summer in our Ecclesiastes series. And listen, if you weren't here to hear that, that book was such a help to me. It was such an encouragement to me. He shows us just what we saw there in Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Because Nehemiah had taken that break and he had gotten with God, he was spiritually in tune. He was aware. He had the wisdom he needed to know when it was time to research and silence and when it was going to be time to say what needed to be said. But let's look on here. Uh, think about the idea about how he uh, uses some of this language. Look at verse 17. He says, <coughs> You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now listen, just in that one verse right there, it, 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 he, he's very emotive. He says, you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. He didn't just say, hey, you know, we had a little problem here. A few people made a mistake along the way. No, he says, this is major trouble. He used emotive, arresting language and he grabbed their hearts. And also, look at this, this detail. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem. And what he's showing there is that he is not merely a consultant. He's not merely a contributor. He is a co-laborer with them in rebuilding this wall. That we are in this together. That God has called him to, to, to work with them. Not simply to sit in the construction trailer and sip his coffee, but to get out there and to do the work with them. It's a wonderful example of uh, how to cast vision and also how to lead. Now, let's make this very practical for a few different scenarios. Let's just start in the home. Uh, husbands, uh, let, let's say God has laid something particular <coughs> on our hearts that we need to lead out with. Maybe it's in uh, stepping up family devotions or being more intentional about the spirituality of our wives and our children. Uh, it would be good and wise to do a little secret, silent praying to prepare our hearts. Then we engage our spouse and we say, hey, here's what I sense about the family. What do you sense about the family? You're the, you're the heart of this operation. Let's work on this. Let's, what can we do to help move the ball forward here? Just that simple prayerful preparation like what Nehemiah showed here. Husbands, I guarantee you it's going to help you move the ball down the field for your family. Now, let me speak to the wives for a moment. And I want to purposely be a little tongue-in-cheek with this, but I think you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Let's say, wives, there's something you need for the home. Let's just make something up. Let's say you want a Roomba vacuum cleaner, okay? Maybe you don't, but let's say in this illustration, you really do. Uh, there is a right time to put that request before your husband. If he comes in from work and he, he just barely got there, you can tell he's visibly distraught. He got literally rained on. 
you walk, he walks in, three kids are fighting with each other, one comes by and dumps all the Legos out. That is probably not the time to make your request for, hey, we need this Roomba here at the house. But I bet if you did something like this, if you sent him a little picture of a, of a Roomba and say, hey, I really think we need this, and then you wrote a nice little sweet note and you explained to him how thankful you would be and what could happen at home if he comes home with that Roomba. Let me tell you what's going to happen. That guy's going to leave work early. He is going to go buy all the Roombas he can find. And he's going to show up at the house and probably a babysitter. Because of the thoughtfulness. Because of the thinking ahead. Because of the strategy that has been deployed to help make that happen. Now, again, I'm just winking and joking about that, but you understand the point. What Nehemiah shows us here is that there's a right time to come out with things. There's a right way to come out with things. There's a right way to, to be part of the solution, and that goes for all of us. Now, let's take that same idea from the home and let's put it in the workplace. Let's say you got something that you know is going to help your team at work. But you know it might also be costly or it might be difficult or others have may have tried something similar and it failed. There's a right way to do the research and prepare the PowerPoint and all those things that need to be done so that you have the best chance of getting your idea approved when it's time to come out with it. And friends, Nehemiah is a case study in doing that. He had wisdom because he had drawn aside. He had wisdom because he had done all the research, and he had wisdom because the good hand of God was upon him. You know, you can't look at this and not see the gospel, because what does the book of Galatians tell us? It tells us that Jesus came on the scene in the fullness of time, that he was born at the exact right moment at the intersection of history when the Roman roads had become so developed that the gospel could go out. Friends, that is the kind of God we serve. He knows what's going on. He knew just who he needed to rebuild this wall and he called Nehemiah. He put his hand upon him. He put his wisdom in him. He gave him the resource that he needed. He gave him the people that he needed and he raises him up to do what he's called him to do. Friends, that same God is our God. You know him through the power of the Spirit. We know him as a church. And so we rest in and exult in the fact that we belong to Jesus and he's with us and he's for us and he will not. Now, there's even more wisdom here to learn from Nehemiah. Because look what happens after he comes forward with this vision at just the right time. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, you can pick whatever movie you want. Any Avengers movie, any other adventure movie, any action movie. The one that comes to mind most clearly here for me is Braveheart. Some of you guys haven't even seen that. But there's a scene in Braveheart where uh, Mel Gibson's William Wallace the character is out there. I think it's before their first battle. And he's got this ragtag group of farmers. 
and he, you know, the music's playing and the, the well-crafted British army's about to come over the hill and he's got this guy with, these guys with like sticks and swords basically. And he gives that speech with the Scottish brogue, which I will not recreate. And he says, all men may die, but few men truly live. And then of course, it goes on from there. This is that kind of moment in the story of Nehemiah, that he's done the work, he's been with God, he has gathered all the information, he has cast the vision, and now the people commit to step in to what destiny God has for them. But here's what I love about the Bible. It's always keeping it real. Because even in the midst of all those, uh, the great glory of this moment, yeah, verse 19, look at this. But when Sanballat the Horonite <coughs> and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And that leads us to our third and final principle. And that is that Nehemiah shows us that when we seek to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, we will always be met with some kind of opposition. I wish I could tell you that wasn't true. But I've been alive long enough and I've been a Christian long enough and I've been a pastor long enough to tell you that it is true. But I also know this, that sometimes if you just go into something knowing that there's going to be difficulty, knowing that there's going to be opposition, it just helps me. And I think it'll help you. Because if you can see it coming and you can build your proverbial ark before it rains, so to speak, then you're going to be prepared for when that inevitable deluge comes, well, then your boat's going to be able to sustain and survive and move forward. And Nehemiah was ready for this, and he was able to sustain in the midst of it. So I guess my question that I would have for, for, for us would be, do we know that we're going to be opposed when we seek to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way? Or are we always surprised and taken aback by it? Because I think if we can know ahead of time, there's always going to be trouble in a fallen world. Well, friends, it will help us sustain and thrive when it happens. And that's what happens right here at verse 20. Look at this. It says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know, one of the things I love about Nehemiah is he has this wonderful melding of clarity and confidence without arrogance. There is a intense boldness about this man. But there is a gentle humility about this man. Friends, isn't that what you want? That's what I want. I, I want to be laser-focused and effective in what God has called me to do. But I also want to be approachable and humble and kind. And I think that's what God wants for all of us. That we have this balance of God could do anything through us and this awareness that we know that it is God who gets the glory 
It is God who gives the increase. It is God who gives the resource and the power. And friends, that is everywhere in the New Testament, isn't it? You see Paul and the way he writes and the way he lives, and it is not I but Christ who lives in me, this constant drone throughout his ministry. You see it in the ministry of Stephen. You see it in the ministry uh, sometimes of Peter, but ultimately he ends up in the right place. But this, this clarity and this confidence without arrogance. And friends, that's what we want. That's what we want as a church. Because the blessing of God always flows down to the lowest place. And we want to be humble so that the good hand of God, which already rests upon us, like we learned last week, positionally, rests upon us practically. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what we want. And so just practically on this point here, uh, uh, what do we do with this, this knowledge? We know opposition is coming. <clears throat> well, some of it we already talked about. We, 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 we are aware of it. We, we pray into it. We prepare for it. I think a second thing that will help us would be to, to, to really study passages like this, to really jump into the narratives in the New Testament where you see Jesus deal with opposition, where you see in the book of Acts, time after time, the early church deal with opposition, that we dig into those passages and say, listen, most of the history of the church has been in seasons of proverbial winter. And that sure seems like the season we're in now and the season we're going into. And so we need to see how our brothers and sisters throughout history have dealt with this and, and not just survived, but thrived in the midst of it. And another thing that will help us beyond that, we always want to start with the Bible, but, but really learning Christian biography. And I, I told you this, I think it was last year, one thing I stumbled upon, well, I was watching this with, uh, with the kids, it, it, there's, a, there's a cartoon series, and this might sound silly for adults watching cartoons, but on Amazon uh, that we just stumbled across, I think it's called The Lamplighters, and it tells all these stories of missionaries and so on. Man, I, I got more out of, it, out of it than the kids did. It just inspired me. But there's tons of podcasts out there, or you could even get like a, a simple uh, book of Christian biography just to see. And I'm telling you, it will help you to see how your brothers and sisters who have gone before responded in times of opposition and how they held the line. Final thing I would want to say on this practical point is, friends, again, this is why walking in community matters. It really matters. And in our generation, where so many people have kind of made a, a choice to just say, I'm just going to watch my favorite preacher on TV and I'm going to call that church, friends, we can do better than that. God didn't just give us pixels. He gave us people, and he gave us community to draw aside. And sure, there may be times because of all this health stuff that where we do have to talk to each other by Zoom and that kind of stuff. That stuff does happen. But that's not the long-term goal. We need one another, and we need community to help encourage us just in the same way that Nehemiah's helpers would have encouraged him, in the same way that Barnabas encouraged Paul, 
in the same way that the church throughout history has encouraged one another and borne one another's burdens and spurred each other on toward love and good deeds as they saw the day approaching. Friends, that's what we want. That's what we need. And that's part of what Nehemiah had that helped him do what he needed to do. And that's what we have that's going to help us do what we need to do. So let's lean in, let's lean on, and let's see what only God can do. Now, let's wrap all this up. Where is Jesus in all this? Well, in many ways, I think he's everywhere. You think about this first concept that we talked about today, about the notion of self leadership. Jesus is the greatest example of self-leadership in the history of examples. Because it wasn't just that time in Mark chapter 1 that he drew aside. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to enter into this ultimate crucible of affliction. And where does he go? He goes to pray. He goes to draw strength from his Father. He acknowledges the difficulty of the situation. He prays until his sweat becomes like drops of blood. And yet, when it was time, he stepped into what the Father had for him. He led himself better than anyone else could ever lead. But that's not all. In some ways, his entire life was an example of this. Let me give you just one other example. What about in Luke chapter 4 when he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy? We have all these days of temptation and then we see these uh, particular examples that pop up that if you fall down and worship me, then I'll give you this and this and this. And each time, what did Jesus do? He answered with the scripture. And that the, the retort was always similar. I'm not going to do that because the Bible says this. Friends, again, another wonderful example of self-leadership that we can follow. But then you think beyond that, and you think about what we learned in that second point there, about the right way to cast vision. Friends, Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. He didn't do it the way that we would have done it. <clears throat> we wouldn't have chosen the ragtag bag of fishermen and, or fishermen and all the people that he chose. But he knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew exactly the kind of people that were going to be needed to reach the kind of people that were going to be reached. And then here we sit today, some 2,000 plus years later, because of the leadership of the Lord Jesus in establishing his church. And friends, if Jesus can pull that off with the group that he did, he can help us in our homes. He can help us in our workplaces. He can help us lead and guide our families. Jesus is the leader that we need. And then finally, when we think here about the, the opposition that Jesus encountered, friends, is there any greater opposition than that which the Lord Jesus faced? I don't think there is. And yet, in the midst of all of it, when he was being maligned, when he was being murdered, he still extended forgiveness and kindness and grace and mercy and emerged victorious in his glorious resurrection. Friends, Jesus is the leader we need no matter what opposition we face. And you know one thing I love about Jesus? He isn't just our example. He's our empowerment. 
Because he didn't just throw Nehemiah to us and said, hey, be like this guy. He didn't just give us the gospels and say, hey, be like me. But he came down and he lived the perfect life that we should have but could not live. He died the substitute's death for our sins and gloriously rose again. And now through his spirit and by his word, he empowers us to walk the plan that he has for us. Friends, do you know this Jesus today? Do you have a personal relationship with this Jesus? If you don't yet, my encouragement would be that you would admit that you're a sinner, that you would believe in what the Bible teaches about him, and that you would commit your life to him, and that you'd reach out to us, and we will talk about the next steps that you need to take on your journey. If you do know him, friends, where do you most need his help today? Is it in regard to self-leadership? Is it in regard to casting vision more effectively? Is it in regard to bearing up under opposition? Wherever it may be, the Lord is with you and for you. Go to him now and let's ask for what only God can do. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to do your work, your way. And surely we cannot do it alone. We can as individuals and we cannot as a church. And we need your help. But we thank you in advance to know that you will help us that you are with us. And so we pray that you would continue to move among us as a body and as individuals, and that we would truly see what only you can do. In Jesus' name.